I'm going to read beginning at verse 12 of chapter 8, and I'm going to read down through verse 9 of chapter 9, because I believe these, um, again, an unfortunate division of the chapter, but um, I read these, and then I've asked Neil if he would pray for the ministry of the Word. Hosea 8, verse 12, though I wrote for him 10,000 precepts of my law, they are regarded as a strange thing. As for my sacrificial gifts, they sacrifice the flesh and eat it. But the Lord has taken no delight in them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish them for their sins. They will return to Egypt. For Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces. And Judah has multiplied fortified cities. But I will send a fire on its cities that it may consume its palatial dwellings. Do not rejoice, O Israel, with exultation like the nations. For you have played the harlot, forsaking your God. You have loved the harlot's earnings on the threshing floor. Threshing floor and winepress will not feed them, and the new wine will fail them. They will not remain in the Lord's land, but Ephraim will return to Egypt. And in Assyria they will eat unclean food. They will not pour out libations of wine to the Lord. Their sacrifices will not please him. Their bread will be like mourner's bread. All who eat of it will be defiled, for their bread will be for themselves alone. It will not enter the house of the Lord. What will you do on the day of the appointed festival and on the day of the feast of the Lord? For behold, they will go because of destruction. Egypt will gather them up. Memphis will bury them. Weeds will take over their treasures of silver. Thorns will be in their tents. The days of punishment have come. The days of retribution have come. Let Israel know this. The prophet is a fool. The inspired man is demented. Because of the grossness of your iniquity and because of your hostility is so great. Ephraim was a watchman with my God, a prophet. Yet the snare of a bird catcher is in all his ways. And there is only hostility in the house of his God. They have gone deep in depravity as in the days of Gibeah. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. Let us pray. What will you do on the day of the appointed festival and on the day of the feast of the Lord? The picture that Hosea paints for them in this passage is of the autumn harvest festival a symbol for the Jews of expectation, at least in this day, of survival and proof to God of their religious zeal. Here we are celebrating with the threshing floor, the, the fruit of the wheat fields and the wine press, celebrating the fruit of the, the vineyard. And yet, the scene is painted in the midst of what I, I believe, if you could follow me, is Hosea is acting as the prosecuting attorney. I believe that chapter 8, verse 1 through 9, 9 is a, is a sermon, is a message from God. We've had the indictments that the, the army is coming, but why? Because they have broken the covenant, they've rejected the law, and then he sums that up in saying, that they have rejected the good. They've cast off the good. 
And we had God laying that out in verses 4 through 14 of chapter 8, laying out examples of how they have cast aside the good, the things that they have done, the way that they have, they were blessed with all of these things, and yet they cast them aside to, to serve other gods, to go after their political allies in, in Assyria, and, and trying to play Assyria against Egypt. And in doing these things, they were the wild donkey, all alone and, and, and just... As he, as he says of him, he had to pay for friends. He had to use his wealth in order to buy friends because no one delighted in him. And here, Hosea picks up this prosecution. He picks up really his, his closing arguments. And, and what he says to them in, in 9.1, do not rejoice, O Israel. Do not celebrate. Do not joy in the eating and the drinking. And here he closes with these arguments of their doom. But what is he really assaulting here? Or what is he really trying to do here? Hosea can be crushing. Hosea can be very dark. But I, but I think the, the ray of hope here, the ray of, of, of questioning in Hosea is, is verse 5 of chapter 9. What will you do on the day of the appointed festival and on the day of the feast of the Lord? See, what he does is he, he looks at them as, as a nation. It, it really comes down to you know, who they are as a people. And religious life, as one of the commentators said, uh, was everything to Israel except their conscience. <laughs> they, they had their festivals and they, they enjoyed them. They, they had their history. They, they had their regulations and their, their do's and their don'ts. And they had their tradition. But what they've done is they've brought in all of these other things with it. The, the serving of other gods, the Baals and their shrine and their cult worship. But they use their position, really their identity, as like a good luck charm. Certainly God will bless us. He gave us the land. Certainly God will bless us. He's the king of heaven. Certainly we will have the, we're the chosen people. We've got the promised land. We've got the history. We've got the God. And Hosea says all of that is going to become past history. Do not rejoice, O Israel. Do not exalt like the peoples of the nations. For you have played the harlot. You have forsaken your God. You have made Baal the source of your blessings. That's the picture of the threshing floor. And notice he says in verse 2, the threshing floor and the wine press will not feed them. I, I think at once it, it says that they did not look to God. If they were looking to God, I think Hosea would have said, well, you look to the wheat and you look to the vine. At least there would have been some connection that God is the one who grows the wheat and brings the rain to make the grapes. But no, they look to the threshing floor. They look to the wine press. They've, they've gone beyond. There's that expectation. Well, it's always going to be there. And he says, no, it, it will not feed you. 
Well, wait a minute. They're looking forward to the autumn harvest festival, the, the time where they would rejoice and be glad in all of these things. They would imbibe the wine. They would rejoice in having the plenty of the threshing floor. And Hosea says, no, do not rejoice because this is not going to feed you because it's not going to be there. Not because of drought, but because the army is coming. Remember 8.1. The army is coming. It's descending. And they're going to come in and they're going to haul you off. And as they do, they're going to ravage the land. They're going to eat the wheat. They're going to pluck the grapes. And they're going to take from the wine press. And there is not going to be enough to feed you. And you're not going to have any way to produce any more. And he says, and the new wine will fail them. The, the idea is deception. They're looking to new sources of wine. They're looking to, well, you know, maybe Assyria. But he says that wine will deceive you because it will run out and it will not satisfy you. Because you're not going to remain in the Lord's land. And again, that, that just that phrase, the Lord's land, ought to tell you something. It's the Lord's land. It's the land that he gave them as a token of his grace and his promise to them. The promised land. The land that I will bring you into. The land that will now be yours. It's the Lord's land. And they've forgotten that. They thought, now this is our land. No, it's the Lord's land. The Lord giveth, and the Lord's about to take away. But Ephraim will return to Egypt. <laughs> there's, there's the refugees, the ones who are trying to escape d destruction. They're running off to Egypt. You want to go back to Egypt? You think they're going to help you? Okay, wait till you get down to verse 6, right? Egypt will gather them up. <laughs> It's not, you know, come on in. It's we'll gather you up. Because what is the land of Egypt to them? Particularly, as he mentions, uh, Memphis will bury them. Memphis was near the Nile, but that's where all the pyramids are. And what are the pyramids? That's where they bury the dead people. And that's what Egypt is going to do. The refugees that make it to Egypt are going to be buried there. Egypt will gather them. And Assyria, in Assyria, they will eat unclean food. See, here now we get to it. The festival, the, the ordinance of the Lord, they could not partake if they were unclean and if they had unclean hands, unclean food, they can't partake. They can't participate. Is Assyria, this pagan nation, going to have clean food? No, no. <laughs> It's not going to have that kosher food. It's not going to have those things. And you'll not have the libations of wine to pour out before the Lord. Their sacrifices won't please God because they're not the right ones. And you won't have any recourse because you're not in the Lord's land. You're not in that beautiful place that represents all of, of what I gave you and what I set aside for you. And your bread, verse 4, will be like mourner's bread. If you had a relative die and you went to the funeral, you went to see them, 
you are automatically unclean because you're viewing a dead body. And all of the food that you eat over the next seven days, because that's how long it took to become clean again, is mourner's bread. Bread that is unclean and it is not fit to bring into a festival, into the house of the Lord. It's, it's not going to enter because you can't enter because you're unclean. So the identity of Israel is what Hosea is saying will be stripped away here. Everything that has made you unique, that, that you, you use as that calling card, as that, as that kind of good luck charm, or that, you know, he's saying, do not pass go, do not collect $200, go to Assyria, because that's where you'll be taken. You can't use that here. And we see that they're, they're running and escaping. Look at verse 6. Weeds will take over their treasures of silver. As they're running, you know, they're like the guy who, who's, you know, his house is on fire and he's looking around for all the, the things that he wants to carry with them as he escapes. And he's, it's like this vision, they're dropping behind him. They're, they're falling along the wayside. And, and as they're hauled off to Assyria, the weeds are going to grow over them. And it's not like they can even look back and say, well, we see the path back to the Lord's land. It's going to be grown over with weeds. And thorns are going to be in their tents, the tents where they will live in Assyria. They, they remind them of the tents they set up at the shrines, except they're full of thorns. Have you ever been camping? You're right, and your sleeping bag is over that thorn or that rock. You're, there's a constant reminder, I ain't in my own bed. And that's what we see here. There's a constant reminder that, oh, I want to offer, to, I can't offer this to the Lord. Well, I'll do, no, that's not available. And, and all that they depended on, the silver, that, that's gone. It's lost in the weeds, and the path is grown over, and you will not return to the Lord's land, the land that he gave you. And so their identity, who they are as a people, is what Hosea is pointing to them and saying, don't rejoice. Don't be glad. The nations, they're not the chosen ones. It's as if he says, the sins of, of the nations, there, there will be a time. God is still, like it, it, Peter says in Acts, you know, the times of ignorance God overlooks. They're, they're pagan, they didn't know. And their sin is different to God than yours. But you know. You are the chosen people. You are the ones he selected for himself. And your sin is different to God. Because their sin was ignorance. What is your sin? You have forsaken God. You have turned your back on him. You have left him. You have forgotten him. And the punishment, the days of punishment have come. The days of retribution are here. There's a certainty here. And that's the prosecuting attorney. As he speaks, and he's not speaking to the jury, he's speaking to the people. The days have come. The days of punishment, the days of retribution. And then, I don't know how you read it, but 
Hosea, it's almost as if he cannot resist. He says in verse 7, The days of punishment have come. The days of retribution have come. Let Israel know this. He's looking back at verse 2, where Israel, when they first, God first makes the announcement of the indictments. You, you've broken the covenant. You've rejected the law. And they go, but God, we're Israel. We know you. And Hosea says, you don't know God. You don't know Jehovah. But you'll know this. The days of punishment are upon you. The days of retribution. The days when there will be a complete buying, a, a complete purchasing are here. And you'll know it. And it reinforces the threat of judgment. It's a mocking cry, and yet it's as if he's, he's saying, you don't get it. I'm, I'm asking you this question, what will you do? Not well, what will the nations do? Not well, what will the pagans do? But what will you do on the day of the appointed feast? Let Israel know this, the days of punishment are come. And then we have a strange thing. Not all of the commentators read it, but I, I read it this way. This is Hosea replaying for them the cries they made against him. It, it's an ad hominem attack. It, it, it's Latin for to the man. It, it's where, and you, you hear it, you know, just read anything about our politics. You, you hear ad hominem attacks, do you not? It's where the man, his character, or his motives are attacked rather than his argument. And it, it can go from just attacking the person to just foolishness of saying, you know, those Michelin tires can't be any good because they're made in South Carolina and everybody knows that South Carolina is 49th in education. That's to the people. That's to the man. Or, or this one, and I about fell out in my chair. It's two British politicians who were, who were at one another, and one of them makes this statement. He's, he accuses the other man of making ad hominem statements by making this statement. He says, Mr. Arnott is a standard politician who skews arguments to serve his prejudices. That's, uh, that, that doesn't have anything to say about the man's argument. It says he's, he's, a, he's a standard politician, as opposed to what kind of politician? Do you see? And so here they say this about Hosea. They, they say, the prophet is a fool. Well, it, it literally means he's blabbering endlessly. He's just blabbering. He's, you know, like my eighth grade history teacher, he's just flapping his gums. He's the inspired man, and this is an attack. This is a direct attack. The inspired man, literally the man of the spirit, is demented. He's sick in the head. And, and, and what they, the attack is related because Hosea, what has he said about their spirit? You have a spirit of harlotry. You have, he says, the wind of harlotry wraps you up in its wings. You, it spun you around. The spirit of, of harlotry. And so now they're saying, the man of the spirit. Well, he, he's, he's demented. He, you know, he's just 
cooing like an old silly dove. He's mad. But what's their motive? Well, Hosea points out their motive. Because of the grossness of your iniquity and because your hatred is so great. I guess the modern vernacular is, you know, you're just haters. You're hating on me. Why? Because your sin is so bad, it's so gross, and so unmentionable that you have to insult other people to cover up for yourself. You know I'm right. And don't we do that? When we know someone else is right, you know, if I know my wife is right, right? And if we had a scoreboard at, house, at the house, it'd be, you know, several hundred million over here, and I'd have one over here. But when I know her, her's right, who do I attack? Do I, do, I, do I attack myself and repent? No, I attack her first. I get mad at the messenger, and I don't hear the message. You're accusing me. Yes, because it fits. And here they've responded with an attack back. And you think, wow, you know, Hosea's got a tough, and he does. But he's in pretty good company, is he not? I mean, I think, I don't know, it, it's, I don't understand the passage. But Elisha got attacked by, by kids, teenagers, I guess, for being bald. Go up, you old bald head. Right, that's to the man. They weren't listening to his message. What can a bald man teach me? Jeremiah, you know, there was a petition going around in Jeremiah's day. Uh, Jeremiah and everybody like him, these madmen, we, we, you know, we need to stop that. So we're going to put him in the stocks with an iron collar around his neck. And that'll, you know, with that iron collar, he'll stop yelling after a while. And Paul, you know, he's giving his defense before Festus. And what does Festus say to him? Paul, I can tell that your great learning has made you a madman. <laughs> he's not attacking Paul's message. He's attacking Paul the man. Yeah, you've been reading too many books, right? You've been, you know, reading by candlelight. It really does, you know. But how about our Lord Jesus? They just told him straight to his face. You have a demon. You're mad. That's how the prophets of old were attacked. And Jesus says, yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> they're going to attack you just like they attacked the prophets of old, doesn't he say in Matthew 5? But blessed are you when others persecute you for your godliness and for your message. Because they did that to the prophets of old, but it didn't change their method, message or their method, they kept on. Hosea says, Ephraim was a watchwoman with my God. It's almost as he's saying, there was a day when Ephraim, this, this country of, of Israel, this part of Israel, was a watchman. And, and he knew what Ezekiel was talking about when he explains in Ezekiel 33 what a watchman's got to do. And, and God's pretty clear there. He says it two or three times. A watchman's got to watch for the danger, and then he's got to notify the people. He's got to give the warning. If you see and don't warn, no, you're not my prophet. And, and if you, you, you don't see, you miss it, and you're not my prophet. But if you see and you warn, you're the prophet. And if they don't respond, it's on their heads not yours. And he's saying Ephraim was a watchman, a prophet, but now what are they like? A snare of 
of the fowler, the, the bird catchers. They've, 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 got this, they've got this net out. They've got this um, entanglement for you. And they're trying to trip me up. And so I'm trying to watch on the wall, but I've got to watch my back because nobody else is watching my back because they're going to try to entangle me. They're trying to, going to get me to compromise my message. And there's only hostility in the house of the Lord. It's almost as if they're saying, you know, you're the troublemaker. If we could get you out of the house of the Lord, Hosea, then everything would be right. But again, they're, they're haters. They're hating on him because of his message and what he stands for. And so he gives the final argument in verse 9. They have gone deep. They have gone deep in depravity. I know what going deep means in baseball or football, but here you don't want to go deep. They go deep in depravity. Their, their, their sin has hit rock bottom. And what is the sin? It's the harm that their corruption has done to the entire nation. It's the harm that they have done. Why? Because it stripped you of your real identity, who you are. And it's ruined God's reputation to men. Because you've claimed the God of heaven and this is what you're like. You're, you're tarnishing his image before men. And it's gone so bad, and I don't quite know how to preach this because it is so bad, and I, I want to be sensitive here, but it's in the days of Gibeah. Notice, first of all, that he did not attack. He didn't say, you are Benjamites, therefore you're like... No, he says, you're doing the activities of the men of Gibeah. And, and you would think, right, that... He would look back at Sodom and Gomorrah, but the men of Sodom and Gomorrah couldn't teach the men of Gibeah anything. Because this, this was a gang rape that turned into a murder, that turned into a civil war that left 25,000 men of Benjamin dead. And made a division in the kingdom of God. And, and it's interesting, you, you read in Judges, and, and chapter 21, it's as if the people said, God made that division. Well, God did because he was trying to save them from dividing any further. But, and there's, it's full of parallels. And, and we don't have time to go into all of these things. But, but Hosea is a historian, Hosea, you know, it's kind of like at the end of chapter 9 and 10, 11, 12, he's going to be looking back at the history of Israel and pulling things out of their history to remind them. And, and here the parallel is, you're no different from the way they behaved. Yes, you know, you, you've forsaken God in these things. You, you, you have these... Things that, that you're just like them. You're doing the same things that they did. And we have the summary verdict. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. He. It's not Hosea speaking of himself. He's speaking of God. He. He will punish 
their sins. He will remember their iniquity. See, there's two parts to judgment. There's God remembering, and then there's his, literally in this passage, he will punish, he will visit. There's remembering and visiting. God is personally involved in dealing with the corruption of the worship of him. You've performed these holy duties with a corrupt heart. You, you've done all these things. Yeah, you, you cling to your festivals and, your, and you cling to your sacrifices. That's why I went back and read 13. You know, and he's basically saying, yeah, go ahead and slay your animals. Eat, yeah, go ahead and eat. But do not rejoice because I don't accept it. Do not be glad in these things like the nations would be glad because it is not to me that you're presenting these things. You're deceiving yourselves. And why is false worship so bad? Why is it such that he says you're deep in your depravity is because we who would worship falsely, we would come with the wrong heart. We're coming into the very presence of God and trying to deceive him. We're trying to say, well, this is what you taught. No, I did not teach you that. You know what the sacrifice means. You know, you, you, you have Moses. You know that that sacrifice means that you deserve the fate of that animal. You deserve that your blood is spilling out on the ground and gurgling. You know what that is. And you're now trying to come into my presence and teach me mm, that's not really, you know, what it has to mean. Therefore, God is justified in saying, do not rejoice. Do not be glad. Don't rejoice in what the world rejoices in. They, 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 you're mixing with the nations when you do that. You, you're mixing their worship with worship of the true God. You, you can't rejoice in that. Because joy is not a matter of the doing. The joy is a matter of the relationship and when you forsake God and worship to your own ends, it will remove all joy from it. And as I say, some sins are greater than other sins. I still think the phrase is right. Our, from Lloyd-Jones, our, our problem is not sin, it's sinfulness. That's what God hates. And the grossest of people, the grossest of our sins is the forsaking of him. For those who have tasted the knowledge and the goodness of God, and then to cast it off, as these people have done, sin against the covenant. They sin against the covenant and the law of, of their God. And you commit a great sin. And the eyes of the world are on you, on us. And they're saying, is that how you worship God? Is that how he wants to be worshipped? You don't look a whole lot different from us. And what do we do for them? What do we do for the unbeliever? We place a stumbling block in his way. 
and saying, well, I guess you can get to God any way you choose because that's kind of what they're doing. And what they miss is that what was prayed, the way, the truth, and the life, only one way to come to him. So what can be done? Or perhaps I should have typed in the question that Hosea asked, what will you do on the day of the appointed festival? Now you may say, well, wait a minute, whoa, 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 wait. he's talking about the appointed festival, the Feast of the Lord, and, and, and you, Mark, you seem to be talking about a day of destruction. Yeah, and I, and I think that it is proper. I, I'm still trying to figure it out, so I, you know, correct me, you know, my fellow elders, if I'm wrong here. But there is a sense in which that great day, that day of visitation that is to come, will be both a day of rejoicing for some and a day of destruction for others. It's the same day. I'm more convinced there's not a thousand years in between. It is the day. Because God calls that day of festival both a day of destruction and a day when he will rejoice. And you think, wait a minute. And we don't like to read the imprecatory psalms, do we? I mean, there are, there are those who, who, who shrink back from, from reading the psalms. But, but Psalm 75, For a cup is in the hand of the Lord, and the wine foams, it is well mixed, and he pours out of this. Surely all the wicked of the earth must drain and drink down its dregs. That's wine. But what does Jesus say to his people I look forward to that day when I'll drink it new with you at that great day. There will be wine drunk on that day and some to newness of life and some will drink down the dregs of his destruction. In Deuteronomy 28, we read these words. This is a warning from Moses, but he says, and it shall come about that as the Lord delighted over you to prosper you and multiply you, so the Lord will delight over you to make you perish and destroy you, and you shall be torn from the land where you are entering to possess it. There, there is that sense in which God delights. It's not a morbid delight. It's not, it's not sadistic delight. God delights when his name is honored and glorified. That's his delight. And there will be delight for God because there will be those people who will stand up and glorify God by the power given them by faith and the power of the Holy Spirit. And there will be God rejoicing because those who have besmirched his name, those who have, have rejected his name, those who have smeared it will drink down the dregs and they will be sent to destruction. There will be that day. And it is talked about as a, as a great day. And there's a lot that I don't understand about it. And there's a lot to, to learn. And there's a lot that we just don't know. But there, it will be, and I, I think, again, as I read Hosea, it, it ought to be to any of you listening today. You know, what does God say in Revelation? Well, some people will be like. He says, And kings of the earth and great men and commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains and they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us! Fall on us and hide us! Why? They know what worship is. 
Hide us from the presence of the Lord. Those who have sinned, they'll know. Well, what does worship really mean? It's not the doing of all the things. It's being in the presence of God and honoring and worshiping him. And they say, no, that day of destruction will be, we will want to be hidden from his sight. We will not want to be in the presence of Almighty God. And that's why I think, well, what can be done? What can be done for believers? What, how we, should we live in these days with this knowledge? Well, Jerry Bridges, in his book on grace, says, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Remind yourself that it is not of you, it is all of him. That I, we must be born again. We must be born to a new and living hope. Are, are you born again? Jeremiah Burroughs asked the question, how often do you renew your covenant with God? Is it daily that you say to, your, to yourself, I am yours. You, you have bought me. You have paid for me. Do, do you make promises in prayer and then, and then forget and prove yourself a liar? Do you, do you say, I am God's, and then the next minute turn around and it's like you don't even know God? And I think that's why, you know, the, the Jews had the admonition in, in the Shema. You know, that you, you, will, you will say this in your household and in, in morning and at night when you get up, when you lie down to your children each day. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And, and yes, we can turn that into this little mantra, you know, like rubbing the beads and chanting this thing. It's not an incantation. But it is something that ought to be in our mind and our heart. Is my longing each day to love God with all my heart, soul, and mind. And everything that my hand finds to do, do it all to the glory of God. Well, there's, there's, there's two good things right there. What, I mean, <laughs> you don't need a thousand But also, let your reward be from God alone. The, the Israelites here were, were seeking, you know, they were seeking things to come. They were, they were thinking, looking at rewards from Assyria and Egypt. They were, they were looking to the threshing floors and, and to the wine press. They were thinking, oh, yeah, I, I want some of that wine. But it was deceptive. And everything of man, everything that man promises, everything that man says that he will do for you will, will turn out wrong. It will turn out bad unless the Lord is in it. The new wine will fail you. It won't perform what it seems to promise. But we need to be like Habakkuk. He, he says, though the fig tree will not blossom, no, there, though there be no fruit on the vine, though the olive tree ceases to yield anything, what does he say? Yet I will exult in the Lord. See, see here's the freedom. Here's where we have that. Here's where we really enter in, I think, to the, to the new covenant. It's where Jeremiah says to us, excuse me, I didn't mark this one, but let me, let me find it. Because Jeremiah is a contemporary of Hosea. And we, we, we hear in Jeremiah first this, this idea of the new covenant, the, the new thing. And, and here's the promise that he gives in, in Jeremiah 33. 
He says, Thus says the Lord, Yet again there shall be heard in this place, of which it was said, It's a waste, without man and without beast. He's talking about the land when they're in exile. That is, the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man and without inhabitant, without beast. What will be heard again? The voice of joy and the voice of gladness. See, Hosea said, do not rejoice and do not be glad, but God, God knows what he's about. And God has this laid up for them. God has this new covenant for them where he says, yeah, it's a, it's a land laid waste. It, it's strewn with all this silver that weeds have covered. And it, it, it's a it's horrible place. And it's, it's a desolation. Nobody's lived there. There's no sound of anything. And he says, the voice of joy and gladness will be heard again. The voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride and the voice of those who say, give thanks to the Lord of hosts for the God, the Lord is God and his loving kindness is everlasting. See, see that's, that's what the Christian can say. When we're asked that question, what will you do on that great day? On that great day uh, of the feast? That great day of visitation? We can say, I'll be living in the Lord's land. Uh, he will renew this land and it will be as former. He, he, he has given us this great privilege because we're unique among the peoples. We are his chosen people. We are his children. We've been grafted in. We can say that we can rejoice that he ever made us, as the song says, to hear his voice. We can rejoice that we have the fruits of the Spirit guiding us and helping us and, and becoming real in our lives. We can know that we are blessed when others despise us. We know that we can exercise the gift of faith in all the promises and all the good things we see in the scriptures. We know we can cast all our cares on him because he cares about us. And we know that we can see past all of the sordid history, not only of Israel and the times of exile and the deep depravity of their pit, but we can see past the times of our sin of our depravity, of our scorning him, of our rejecting him, to say, I know that there is a day of immortality and a day of glory. And I know that I will be with him forever. I know there will be a day to rejoice and a day to be glad. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the, the scriptures. We thank you for the energy and the persistence and the, the writings of the prophet Hosea that you have preserved for us. Oh, Father, I pray that we would read, we would study, we would, um, as was said in Sunday school, that we would sweat these things, that we would seek to know you, we would seek to be with you, we would seek to be those whose promises are sure, and whose election is sure, and we would rejoice and be glad with the saints of God. We ask that you would do this. We ask that you would accomplish this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you please rise for the benediction from Romans chapter 15.
Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.